and begin to study these things out. If you're learning to manage your own resources, you've got to learn to limit your debt. We live in a generation where the moment you get started using a credit card and you so show some semblance of using it respectfully, you will be inundated with the amount of offers that roll into your house. They will, <laughs> you, you can sell two children. <laughs> Come on now, I'm telling the truth today. This, because, see, the, the Bible says that the borrower is servant to the lender. And, and so there, there, is a, there is a stronghold in America today of men and women becoming dependent upon credit cards for daily living. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. You've got to learn to limit your debt. And so many of the principles that I'm talking about in faith I, I want you to know, you gotta, you gotta, if you've had debt and you've misused your resources, you're, re, you're, you're making a change. It starts with repentance. It starts with saying, God, I can't live this way any longer. I've got to change the way I handle resources. You need to start making quality purchases, not impulsive buys on the credit for things that depreciate to nothing overnight. Well, that's good right there. I know you aren't shouting me down because you're ashamed to. But I'll go ahead and say it one more time. You need to make quality purchases, not impulsive buys on the credit for things that depreciate to nothing overnight. If you're going to purchase something, how about something that retains its value or something that gains in value? That's being a faithful or a good steward with your resources, and you have to learn to make good investments. Yes, you can make an investment at some level. You can do something that's for you, your house, your children, and your children's children. Yes, you can. Learn, number three, to trust God. You're going to grow in this. It's not just in responding to a pastor's message. You've got to begin to develop your faith where you recognize that God is your provider. Well, let me just keep saying it. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. The Bible says what you do in secret, God will reward you openly. Malachi 3, God said, prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out of blessing that you cannot contain it. And so I want to encourage you, you've got to learn to trust God. God is your provider, not the federal government. I know for all liberals in here today that you don't like to hear messages like that, but that's all right. I'm going to tell you anyhow, God is your provider, not the federal government. Not your employer, God is your provider. My employer can change overnight, but my God said, I do not change, right? The federal government can be up here one moment, and it can be $22 trillion in debt as it is today right now, but my source, my resource cometh from the Lord. It does, and I want to challenge you in that today. I want to challenge you, number four, take control of your own life. Stop blaming everybody around you. Somebody gets prospered, somebody's working, somebody's receiving something for their labor, they're doing, they made a good investment, whatever. Stop setting back uh, being covetous over what they've got. Stop refusing to celebrate with them. I'll tell you what, I pastor a church and I've got a diversity of wealth among us. From an impoverished person to somebody in great wealth. And I can celebrate with every one of you. Because if God has rewarded you and your faithfulness, I'm going to bless and celebrate God on your behalf. I'm going to join my faith. I'm not going to sit in my corner and suck my thumb and be envious of you and your resources. But I'm going to say, God, if you bless that person. Come on now, if you bless that person, then you can bless me in my household. 
You've got to decide for yourself to walk in the blessing of God. I must have been a little bit agitated at our dependency upon the government when I wrote these things because I added the addendum, not governmental blessing or dependency. I'm not saying that there are not resources that can't come into your life through the federal government. Absolutely, including your own Social Security. But there's one thing I want to challenge you with today. Even if you're on Social Security, look for other revenue opportunities. Come on, be resilient. Have an entrepreneurial spirit, even as you age. Keep trusting God. T.D. Jakes preached years ago that there were multiple rivers that fed the Garden of Eden. And I want you to know, church family, that just that one source of income doesn't have to be your totality of income. God can make a way for you. God can provide for you. And so with that, let me say this. Do you believe in miracle money? Hmm. Hmm. I know Dr. Brassville and I do. We believe in miracle money. We're not covetous over any man's wealth. I'm not afraid to talk about money because you know what money is in our society today? It's fiat currency. It's nothing but a piece of paper. As a matter of fact, if you'll read it very closely, it says that when you have that $20 bill, you're now indebted to the federal treasury as a result of you having it in your hand. But that's for another story at a later date. And so I want you to know what I'm talking about miracle money is this. I'm talking about provision in your life that may supersede your normal income by divine favor or by other sources bringing resources to you. Can I clarify that for for you? It may be money, but it may not just be money. Because money's nothing but a means of exchange. It's a tool that we use to help us in trading. Everybody needs it. If you don't need yours, then you can give it to us. We'll use it wisely. Whether it's cash or gold or silver or a sudden supply of resources or provision, that's what I'm defining as miracle money. Did you know that in the context of Jesus' own personal teaching, Jesus used money and referenced money more than he did heaven or hell? He used it as a teaching point. It was a part of his life. Jesus, if you follow Jesus' recorded miracles in the uh, Gospels, there are 37 recorded miracles. Of those 37 recorded miracles, six had to do with divine provision. So one-sixth of all the miracles that the apostles chose to write to us to validate the miracle ministry of a man called Jesus, six of those directly involved divine provision. What do you think that's written there for? So that you and I, as we read it, number one, John said, so that we would recognize him as the Son of God. Yes. But also that we could say that our God is not a respecter of persons. Let's think about that for just a moment. Both draughts of fish, when you think about the, the miracle provision in the fish, especially the very first one when Jesus called his very first disciples, the Bible says that Jesus wanted to teach. There was a great crowd that were gathered and pushed close that he needed to get into a boat and so that he could push off from the shore because the crowd kept pushing in and pushing in. He needed some separation because they were always thronging him, wanting to touch him for the release of supernatural healing. And sometimes Jesus didn't just pass out healing. Sometimes he gave just sound doctrine. He needed space. So he got in the boat, had the owner of the boat push out just a little way from the shore. And he preached to the people. And when he finished preaching to the people, he said, go, I'll see you later. And then he turned to the owner of the ship. It was a boisterous fisherman by the name of Peter. And he said to the owner of the ship, 
He said, why don't you go on out a little bit farther and let your net down. We'll trust God that we're going to take something in our nets. And Peter's response is like many of ours. Lord, I've tried this. I've been here all day. I've been here through the night. We've labored all night without any sufficiency. The God of Abraham, who is Jehovah Jireh, hath not provided. However, nevertheless, at thy word, we'll go and do. When God gives you a word, you better obey that word and begin to move on that word. And they went a little bit deeper, and they let the nets down one more time. And when they let the net down one more time, they struggled to begin to pull the draught of fishes out of the Galilean Sea because God had breathed upon that miraculous moment on behalf of Peter. And so let me just tell you today, I believe in miracle money. You say, now, Pastor, what? Peter was a fisherman. That was his livelihood. That were the resources. Those fish would be bartered in the market so that he could provide for his wife and his household. That's recorded in the Word of God to let you and I know today that you can go through this day after day after day by the sweat of your brow and never have a moment to celebrate. But in one moment when God speaks a word of blessing over your life, everything can change. Everything can change and the resources can begin to flow into your life. How many of you remember the coin in the fish's mouth? It won't be long before you'll be sending your money to Uncle Sam. A coin paid for Jesus and Peter's taxes that came for Peter going fishing and pulling a fish out of the sea. Don't tell me there ain't no such thing as miracle money. You know, I did some research on that years ago. Now, a lot of people don't know the fullness of this story because they think of this story, they think that God materialized a coin in the mouth of a fish. That's not the way it works. Did you know there is a, sea, there is a fish in the Galilean Sea that has a pocket under its gills? And it's been known that when it sees shimmering objects in the water, it'll go and it'll catch them. And it'll, it'll just, you know, like, like we fish with shimmering objects today. I'm sure it thinks it's, 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 it's biting a, a little, uh, you know, shad or something. What that means is that there was somebody on the Galilean Sea, perhaps a distorted uh, politician working for the Roman government that had abused the people's resources for many years, was on his boat one day, and all of a sudden a wave came. And the wave come, and he was counting all of his gold, and he dropped a gold coin in the water. And before it could sink, the God that knows the end from the beginning knew there would come a day when Peter and Jesus would need to pay their taxes. And so God moved a fish from way over here, come on now, to go and come suddenly and catch that coin before it could hit the bottom, and then hold it right there in its mouth, or right below its mouth, for the day that Peter didn't have enough in his pocket to pay his taxes while he was serving God, God said, I've already laid it up for you. It's in a fish's mouth in the sea. Go down to the sea, cast a, a, a hook in, and I'll provide for you. You can sit here all pious if you want to, all cool. Say, I don't believe in those things. I believe in it. God can provide for me in my household miraculously, and he can for you as well. I told you last week about the story of Jesus being provided for in his own public ministry out of the resources of, of, of some of the, uh, the wife of the steward of Herod's household. And time didn't allow me to elaborate, and I'm not going to elaborate on that today in depth, but just I want you to go back and read that on your own. Because it's powerful when you think about that these women that are coming to Jesus, the Bible says they are ministering to him out of their substance. And one is the wife 
of the steward of the distorted, perverted King Herod. So her husband's livelihood comes from Herod's resources. And God said, I'm going to take Herod's resources and he's going to sow it into the ministry of Jesus. Wow. Somebody said, Pastor, that's tainted money. We say it tain't enough. Come on, somebody. I don't care tain, I don't care where it comes from. Put it in the hands of men and women of God and use it for the glory of God. The story tells us in Genesis chapter number 30 and 31 of Jacob gaining Laban's cattle at conception. So I'm just giving you highlights very quickly because we're going to pray here at the altar in a few minutes because I know that I'm preaching to people under the sound of my voice today that there are some, you're in a season in your life, you need a supernatural moment from God. I want to drop this word of faith deep inside of you so it takes the roof off and you start saying, God, you are my provider. You can make a way for me, God. You can provide. You provided in the wilderness for the Israelites. Listen what the Bible says about the Israelites. The Bible says that when they were hungry, God dropped manna from heaven. Happy meal laying down on the ground right there in front of them every, every morning. So they had a happy meal, and then when they wanted meat, God brought quail from the sea. I don't know about you, quail don't live in the sea. But I tell you what, God brought them by an east wind and brought them into the Israelites' life. I find when I read the Word of God, the Bible says they were thirst, didn't have anything to drink, didn't have Ozarka bottled water. But God said, you got a rock. And He said to Moses, if you'll just speak to that rock, and He said, if you'll smite that rock one time, He said, I'll flow out water. And Moses did so in water flowed out and, and, and watered two million men and women in the wilderness. The Bible says they were for 40 years that their clothes didn't wear away. Come on now. And their shoes did not, the, the soles of their shoes did not waste away in 40 years of the wilderness journey. What a God we serve, church family. Don't sit here in unbelief every Sunday and allow the enemy to create a perverted, poverty-stricken mindset inside of you that says God can't make a way. I came along to tell you the testimony of the men and women that today they look down upon us because we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. They're yelling from the bandstand of heaven. They're yelling and they're saying, trust the Lord. His arm is not shortened and his ears not deafened. He's waiting on you to call on his name. He'll do for you what he did for me. He'll bless you coming in and he'll bless you going out. He'll provide for you because he is your provider. Ruth gleaned in the field of Boaz. And I love that story. I mean, I could pre I've been reading these all week and you know there's no there's not one better than the other. They're just all and I found myself sitting up late last night just reading these accounts over and over again. And I said, God, what a powerful testimony to your divine grace. Remember what Paul said. You say, does this correspond to New Testament giving? Paul said, my God is able to make all grace abound toward you. God is able to make all grace abound to you, your family, and your families, and your children. Thank God for it. That passage in Ruth, though, when I've read that in the past... I'm going to save myself for one other passage, but think about Naomi, bitter, impoverished, and barren. And think about Ruth, buried her husband, sojourned from the land of her nativity, 
only to arrive at the house called the house of bread to discover the only bread for her was out in the field and she had to go out there and glean it. But you know what? This is why I love Ruth. Ruth was unashamed. Ruth was unashamed. She didn't even know of, she only barely knew God. She didn't know, but God had put a system in the word of God that when you harvest your field, if you're in ancient Israel, and your field might be rectangular in shape, God said, I want you to leave the corners. Because if somebody's going through a tough time, I want them to know I've left something for them. They call it reaping in the fields, and that's what she did. She went behind, and she followed behind the reapers, and she gleaned, excuse me, she gleaned in the field. So when the reapers would reap, they would take, uh, and they would, they, would, they would cut down the, the, the barley or the wheat, and they would stack them. But when Boaz, the owner of the field, came and took notice of Ruth, he spoke to her very kindly, and he said, it's been told what you've done for your mother-in-law, Naomi. We all know about it. And so he said, I want you to do something, promise me right here. I'll tell you what, how many of you know Jesus is our Boaz today? Jesus is our Boaz. And he said, here's what I want you to do. He said, don't go in any other field to glean. Stay right here. Stay right here. I've commanded uh, my young men not to touch you. And when you get hungry, go into the house. That's what you're doing in this house today. You didn't know it, but you were hungry because you've been gleaning in the field of God. And God said, when you're hungry, go up in the house. I'll have the man of God bring you parched corn, corn that's been heated up in the fire. And it'll saturate, it'll, it'll, it'll nourish you and sustain you. And he said, when you get thirsty, drink what I provided and go back out there in the field and listen I love this it's recorded in the in the book of Ruth and uh, Boaz told his servants he said when you're gleaning he said I want you to leave some on purpose <laughs> you got to celebrate the little things in your life don't be sitting at home waiting for them to show up with you. You know, you finally won the publisher's clearinghouse, and now you're finally going to celebrate. No, I'm going to celebrate the little things in my life. God can give me just a little nugget of his kindness, of his grace, and I'm going to stop and have my little happy dance right there because of the love of God and the kindness of God in my life. And Ruth was blessed, and before it was all over, you know the end of the story, she became an owner of the field that she used to glean in. What a powerful revelation to us about, you say, Pastor, I don't believe in miracle money. Well, that maybe is why you sit impoverished. Two last ones and I'll close. First Kings chapter number 17 tells the story during the, during the drought that came upon the land as a result of no rain for three years by the prophetic word of Elijah the prophet. Ahab and Jezebel perverted the land through their bell worship. Many of you are familiar with the bold, provocative ministry of Elijah who pointed his finger at Ahab and said, it's not going to rain for three years except for but by my word. He was shut in and shut up with God. But the Bible says this, that the Lord spoke to Elijah and said, I want you to go to a brook, for listen to this, there I have commanded the ravens to sustain thee. I'm talking about the God of nature. That God said, I'm going to bring an unclean, a raven was an unclean animal. So that's why I'm telling you, God can use any source. God didn't just use the clean animal. He used the unclean animal to bring food to the man of God to sustain him beside the brook. But one day, the ravens didn't come. And one day, the brook dried up. But listen to what God said to the prophet. He said, I want you to arise and go to Zarephath. For listen, listen to this. I have commanded a widow woman to sustain thee. 
God has spoken a command about your life. God's decreed it over you. The key is, will you believe it and will you obey it? And when the prophet made his journey to the land of Zarephath, what makes that so interesting is that the land of Zarephath, Zarephath was of a city of Sidon, which was the birthplace of Baal worship. God was going to hide his prophet not a thousand miles from the source of its beginning, the perversion, Baal worship. God said, I'm going to hide you right in the shadow of the idol himself. And I'm going to command. This is why I tell you, you're never too impoverished to give. A widow woman was gathering sticks. The prophet saw her. He made a request upon her. His request was simple. I need some water. Go and fetch me some water if you would. That was the custom of the day. She turned and she went to go and fetch him water. And when he, she went away, as she was still inside, he called out to her and said these words. By the way, could you make me a little cake first? Does anybody remember that in the word of God? And at that moment is when she revealed the fullness of her plight. And it was an exasperation. And I'm telling you, if you have an exasperation moment, that's okay. As long as you reach a place where you obey the word of God. She said, Lord, she said, my Lord, you don't understand my situation. The famines reached all the way up to our city as well. And she said, I don't have enough. She said, I've just got enough meal in my cupboard to provide one cake for my son. I'm gathering sticks. I'm going to go back inside the house. I'm going to make a fire. I'm going to pat out the cake. I'm going to cook it. I'm going to feed it to him. And I'm going to sit over in the corner. And I'm going to watch him until, uh, until starvation begins to take place. Until he begins to lose his strength. Until day after day he's not able to get up. And to do the basic necessities that he needs to do. Until I watch him sit in that corner and die. But the man of God, I'll tell you what, you got to believe. you got to know what you believe and why you believe it. But the man of God was not, he did not allow the faith that was in his heart to be overwhelmed by the plight that the woman was in. The man of God said this. He said, go and do exactly as you have said. You go and you make that cake. But he said, let me tell you this right here. Bring me the cake first. That's why when I preached to you three weeks ago, I said, I believe that you ought to pass your giving through the hands of a man of God. Pass it through the hands of a man of God. And the prophet said, bring me the cake first. Did you know if we could jumpstart that, or, or if you could capture that and jump that to our time, it would be on all major news networks that the preacher exploited the impoverished woman. And his, he would be cursed, and there would be sights and everything that would be cursing this man, of, uh, supposed man of God for his abuse of the woman who was in her, 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 her plight. But the man of God was unmoved because God had commanded her to sustain his need, and he knew that through her act of benevolence, God would reciprocate the blessing. Come on now. And the Bible says... She did like the man of God said. And when she did, the next day she went to her, she opened the lid, and there was more meal in the barrel. And she needed a little oil, and she popped the lid off, and she poured it out. 
And she thought, well, that's it. But the next day, she got up, and she unscrewed the lid, and there was more meal in the barrel. And she made out another cake, and she poured oil in it. And the next day, she got up, and she unscrewed the lid, and that barrel that was empty was now replenished because I'm telling you, there's a God who does not slumber, and He does not sleep. He's a God of created miracles, and He can create one in your life if only you'll believe. If only you'll believe. And I close right now today. Well, perhaps telling me of my very, uh, telling you of my, perhaps my favorite one. The, the reason why I've chosen these churches is because they stimulate my faith. I don't just preach these to you. I love to look at them because I want to find myself in this journey. And because sometimes in this journey, one day I might be Ruth. But the next day I might be Boaz. One day I might be the one saying, God, I need you to leave me something in the field. The next day I may be the one saying, hey. Let's leave something in the field because somebody else is needing a blessing. you got to know what season of life you're in. Some of you uh, are in seasons of prosperity in your life right now. Don't hoard it. Scatter it. Share it. Use it for the glory of God. Let the blessing of God come upon you. In closing today with this famous story, once again in the book of 2 Kings, 1 Kings 17 was Elijah the prophet. 2 Kings chapter number 4, or chapter number, let's see, 4 or 7. Chapter number 4, chapter 7 gives us the record of Elisha the prophet. Elisha's prophetic word in this particular instance is a result, once again, of the famine that's in Samaria. The kingdom of Israel is now divided, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was more prone to apostasy and idolatry than the southern kingdom. And the king of Samaria has watched his nation, has watched his city, his capital city, be squeezed by the hand of a famine. A famine that was so great that some were sodding their own children. You know what that means. They were contending over the right to eat one another's child. They were buying little caps of dove's dung. Whatever they could because they were shut up. Why, were they, why was the famine so great? Because the Syrian army was around the city, and they were shut up. No man could go in, no man could come out. That was the way ancient warfare was practiced. They starved the people out. So when they finally scaled the walls, they would find people just weak and anemic and not able to fight and withstand. And so this happened for day after day and week after week, and there's contention and strife, but they finally turned to the man of God, Elisha, and Elisha gave them a prophetic word and said, about this time tomorrow, the famine's going to break. And he said, the economy's going to be restored to the way it was. I'm telling you, God can do things above and beyond. We've got the prognosticators that watch, and they say, well, this is going to be a bear economy, or this is going to be a bust economy. I'm telling you, the one I'm looking for is the one that's got his ear on God's uh, chest and his heart be listening. That's the one that I want to know. And so Elisha said, about this time tomorrow, everything's going to change. The Bible then jumps to a unique place outside the walls where a group of four men, not scholars, not uh, prophets, priests, or kings, four lepers. Four lepers that started looking at their own plight. And they said, we don't have anything to eat. We're trapped right here. We're in a really tough situation. They said, if we go into the city, they may kill us there. If we go to the enemy, 
they may kill us, or even our own people may say we fled to the enemy and they may have us killed. But you know what? These are the words that stand out. Listen very carefully, closing right now. He said these words, but why sit here till we die? If we don't do something, nothing's going to change. That's the word that some of you need to hear today. you got to start doing something. There's got to be some movement in your life. you got to take these principles and start making them applicable, not to everybody else, but to you. So they got the courage to go to the camp of the Assyrians. And when they got to the camp of the Assyrians, what they did not know was that during the night, God began to sound in the ears of the Assyrians as if other armies were coming at them from the north, the south, and the east, and the west. And every man woke up in his tent and said, the enemy's upon us, and they all stripped off all of their armor, and they fled through the night. And the lepers showed up to discover tent after tent after tent of wealth and resources that had been plundered by the Assyrians when they attacked other nations, and God spread it out on a table and saved it for his children. And so what I'm telling you today, you may not believe in miracle money, but this preacher does, and I want you to know that if you put your faith and your trust in God, there will be a day, there will be a moment, there will be a time when you won't have enough, but all of a sudden, God provides for you and your house. And when that happens, you need to lift both hands toward heaven and say, God, I just want to thank you. You're my provider in this house. Everybody stand up with me today, if you would, as Aaron joins me on the platform. We're closing even right now at 12.03 on this last Sunday in January, culminating. Remember this, church family, this message is not separated from the two previous messages this is the extension of those two messages. Did y'all hear that? It's the extension of. This promise of abundant blessing. This promise of God's faith.